must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I have two ladies who are fresh off of their discussion here at CSM on medical marijuana and what the buzz is all about. I have Dr. Suzanne Tinsley and Dr. Janine Hatch. Ladies, could you first tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it led you to where you are today? Sure. Um, First of all, thank you for having me. I am a practicing clinician for almost, wow, 37 years. And so how I, my, my, my realm in in academia, I was a clinician at an inpatient rehab. I graduated from a program supposedly with a specialization in adult rehab, but having graduated in 1986, I laugh now what I was supposed to have been an expert or a specialization in what I knew then and what I know now. And so I was working in in a rehab, was going to be only a clinician, got approached by the physical therapy school in our, in my city. Would I be willing to, to teach their neuro content because I'd had some students come through that had liked what they got in terms of me as a clinical instructor. So I did that for a couple of years just as an adjunct faculty member and thought, I really like this. And so um, I took a faculty position there and thought, you know, I'd always had an interest in neuroscience and so sought out a, a way to, to gain my PhD. At my university, there was a process where I could go to school and teach at the same time. And so I really started out in neuroscience. And at that point, the only program or the only department that would let you go part-time was the pharmacology department. And so the, the, the anatomy and the biochemistry department wouldn't let you go part-time. And so I really started out in pharmacology for the neuroscience component. And, you know, I think God has a plan. Life led you that way because it was the only option. Right. And so that's how, you know, then I've now been on faculty for, for 30 something years and, and, and one of a very few um, physical therapists that has a PhD in pharmacology. So that's where, you know, kind of my academic career has gone. Awesome. Dr. Hatch, just tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it led you to where you are today. 
So my academic journey, well, you know, I was one of those kids that couldn't wait to go to school. <laughs> I think it started there. My, my mother tells me stories about when I was five years old, I used to wake up well before dawn to wait for the school bus to go past the house. I, and it's, it, it made my day. And I think, I think it was always ingrained in me. But, you know, I started out as a clinician and I always had this quest for learning. And I, I was a, bachelor, a bachelor's degree, a trained physical therapist, but I wanted to get my master's degree. And then I wanted to get my doctoral degree when those options were available. And after I finished my degree training, I was invited uh, by Mass General where I got my master's and doctoral degree to do some adjunct teaching. And, and that was my, the start of my journey. I had relocated to Connecticut. I was invited by Sacred Heart to come on board with them. I was there for 15 years. And in the meantime, through a variety of you know, colleagues, I partnered with Shenandoah University to be their associate director for their transitional DPT program, which is beautiful because I can, um, I can run that program and teach in that program from my home in Connecticut. Nice. And so that's kind of the journey I have. Still a clinician, keeping everything that I teach very relevant and everything that I, you know, that keeping on top of what's kind of trends like medical marijuana and yeah. CBD in practice. Yeah. So I'm super excited to talk about this stuff today because again, I didn't know much about it. I've had some um, experiences with friends and family members and some patients that have used it, but it's something we definitely don't learn about in school, right? That's definitely not something that I've experienced in my schooling and we definitely don't cover it in our curriculum currently. So this is a great opportunity to learn about what we need to learn and then how we need to teach it, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, Dr. Tinsley, if you wouldn't mind, would you just break up the difference between hemp versus marijuana versus CBD, just so we have a foundation to work off of? Okay, hemp and marijuana are the plants that then contain certain levels of these molecules, CBD and THC. So hemp and marijuana are all part of the cannabis family and to be considered hemp, you can only have up to 0.3% THC within that plant. Marijuana is a plant that has greater than 0.3% THC. All right. And can you tell us a little bit about how THC works in the body versus how CBD works in the body? Because it seemed like they, they kind of have two different uh, ways that they work. And it's kind of important the difference, it seems. Sure. Just as in, in a simple component, there are two receptors in our body that these, that THC binds to, or that are part of our endogenous cannabinoid system. And those receptors are CB1, cannabinoid 1, and cannabinoid 2. And so those receptors have been identified as the receptors that interact or that THC binds to with high affinity. And so the, the, the mechanisms or the dynamics of that molecule or mer medical marijuana, THC, is binding with these two receptors. CB receptor one is primarily in the central nervous system, spinal cord. CB two is primarily in the periphery that has to do with, with um, peripheral pain immunosuppression, those types of things. Now, CBD, which is the other molecule that we see, you know, CBD oil, CBD gummies, et cetera, is a molecule that is derived from the cannabis plant, both hemp and it is also in marijuana um, that doesn't really have a great affinity 
for those two receptors themselves. So we don't get high binding of that molecule to those two receptors, but that molecule does seem to have effect in other pathways within our system has since thought to have an effect on um, being a partial agonist to a serotonin receptor, have some effect on voltage gated um, ion channels, has some effect, we don't know really how, but some effect on the PPAR system and other things that are thought to mediate its effects of helping with anxiety, pain, inflammation. Awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Dr. Hatch, would you mind telling us a little bit about CBD claims and some of the popular uses then? So CBD has uh, uh, claims that are very vast and marketing claims that um, they sort of range from um, well overall wellness to, um, you know, some dermatological conditions, even pet health. But what they're most widely used for are um, to manage pain and uh, mood disorders such as anxiety and depression, as well as um, managing sleep disorders. There are some, also some indications that it might be useful in helping reduce the reliance on narcotics for pain management. I mean, it all seems like there's some good there that could possibly happen mm -hmm. for sure. But I feel like this is maybe where the education has to start. I think this is great because this is what we as therapists have to learn. And then we then need to learn how to teach for our patients. I feel like we do a lot of educating and teaching for right. our patients. Right. What would you say then is that conversation that has to be had with the patient? What would you say we have to, as therapists, what are we allowed to say? What, what can we do to help have the conversation when they come to us and ask, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, possibly using CBD. Well, it's important for our patients to know that CBD is, is a medication. It is not an herbal supplement. It is not a dietary supplement. It is a medication and it has not been approved by the FDA. Then that's because there hasn't been enough evidence to show CBD safety or its efficacy or how much we should be taking, how much of client, our patients should be taking. There's no dosing regulations. Um, and, you know, CBD, you know, you deliver it in a gummy or a pill or an oil, um, seems to have this interpretation that it's, you know, harmless. It's just very innocent, a little gummy. But CBD. Yeah, the packaging is, yeah, is a little scary there. A because, little, yeah, it's a little misleading. Yeah, kids, kids see that and they think, oh, gummy bears, you know? And the problem is that um, it is also associated with some serious adverse effects that have. Drug-drug uh, interactions and drugs that a lot of our clients that we're seeing in rehab um, take on a regular basis. NSAID steroids, um, anticoagulant medications are just some of those, and um, those drug-drug interactions are profound. And other side effects. So they they they're not as as innocent and and benign as they think they are. Um, these are medications, and they have considerations, uh, you know, for use along with any other medications on yeah. the market. Yeah, so I think the takeaway then is, hey, look, this is a medication, mm -hmm. any way you want to look at it, you know, and we need to be aware of that and then educate the patient as to some of the possible side effects and things they need to be aware of. And absolutely, what to look for. absolutely. Okay, great. Dr. Tinsley, would you mind then telling us a little bit about uh, the gummies or edibles versus the inhalation and some of the differences in, in levels of, and stuff that, that uh, how it affects the body and so. So are we, we'll go with medical marijuana. Okay. Okay which is the primary compound is THC. So highly lipid soluble, 
and and so based on the mode of delivery there are several things we have to look at one is bioavailability how much are you going to absorb in the bloodstream because normally medical marijuana is meant to have a systemic effect so we have to think about the mode of delivery in terms of bioavailability how much of it are you actually going to absorb okay so if you eat edibles peels if you use it through what we call our gi system you know you mm -hmm. eat or swallow then you've got about a six to 10% bioavailability. If you smoke it or vape it, then it's a much greater bioavailability, the more you're going to absorb. And then there is also when you smoke or vape, there are variations in what you're going to absorb and how long it's gonna hang around based on whether you're a novel user or a long time user. Novel users might absorb maybe 6, 10, 15% of the THC bioavailability. And then it's going to hang around maybe 8 to 15 hours. And then you'll, that's the half-life. Mm -hmm. Chronic users or our long-time users, it's almost like your lungs get primed. Yeah. And if you are a long-time user, then you might absorb up to 35% bioavailability. And then the longer you use it, then the longer the half-life. So that half-life could be 24 to 36 hours. And so we talk about the half-life as the time it takes to cut the concentration in half. So if you are a chronic user and you vote, uh, vape or smoke on the weekends, if you were a novel user, all of that would be out of your system in about three to five days. If you're a, a long time user, you smoke one weekend, then you look at five half-lives, yeah. that's 10 or 15 days before you finally get rid of all of right. it. So those are issues that we have to tease out. And then I think sometimes we have to, to explain to patients, you know, I'm not gonna tell you whether, you're gonna, whether you use it or not, but did you know, okay, particularly I think of a patient that might be, you know, what are the drivers that are certified to driving trucks? Long, okay. yeah, yeah, long, yeah, haul, long drivers. haul drivers. Okay, CDL. so you might be seeing a patient like that as a workers' comp case or a low back case, and he tells you, well, you know, I occasionally smoke marijuana on the weekends, okay, to help with my pain or right. whatever. Okay, well, I'm, you know, as a clinician in my state, I can't say, yes, I think that's a good thing. No, I don't think that's a good thing, but I couldn't say because I know this component about kinetics. Okay, did you, how long have you been using that? Okay, did you know that, you know, you being a chronic user, that you're not getting rid of it as fast as you right. think you are? It sticks around. And, right, yeah. and so, you know, I want you to think about that. I would hate for you to have a drug test, you know, the random drug test, you know, you might think about that. So I think those are things that even though we're not necessarily prescribing or telling patients yes or no, that if we have a patient that is using it, then at least we educate them on some of the, the side effects and or as Dr. Hatch said, some of the problems of where did you get it? Right. Was it, was it a certified dispensary or was it not? And, you know, or did you buy it online? And when you bought it online, did you see if it was, did you look up to see if that product was deemed as if it says it's this percentage, it is that percentage. And so, you know, those are things that we have to think about. Yeah. So I hope that that's kind of yeah, what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, Dr. Hatch, I have a question for you. You brought up a pretty good point about how the research is really kind of inconsistent and there's not a whole lot of it out there. And then I have kind of a follow-up for the, the both of you, but what is the research showing? What are we seeing out there? You know, what's useful research that we should go to? What are some things we should maybe look at? And then we'll kind of maybe talk about some of the barriers to the research. Uh, that question will be open to both of you, but. Well, the research for CBD products is largely um, focused on it's three most popular uses, right? Pain, uh, sleep disorders, and um, and anxiety um, or mood disorders. And you know, and the research is 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 it's difficult to it doesn't we don't have a lot, like you said. There's not a lot of research, so we don't have a, a nice wealth of literature evidence to 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 be looking at and and analyzing. Um, for our use. And the literature is um, oftentimes not reproducible. So one study might come out with showing favorable results and another similar study will show different results or maybe less favorable results. It's just not been reproducible. And that is a, a dilemma because now there's not a, a sort of a, a collection, a body of information that says, so it overwhelmingly shows either favorable, you know, efficacy, or it doesn't, um, because you're always going to find, you know, pros and cons. You're always going to find research that shows, yes, it's a good idea, or no, it's not a good idea. And the only way to interpret that is if you have a body of evidence that shows overwhelmingly in favor or not in favor, yes, we're going to have other dissidents. And we don't have that right now. Um, and so a part, part of the reason why it, these studies are difficult to reproduce and they're difficult to interpret is that many times the subjects are taking these medications, they don't know the, the percentage of CBD. They don't know what kind of CBD compound they're taking. Um, and they don't, they don't really have any idea of how much they're taking um, because there's no dosing guidelines. And so when asked, okay, so if you're a CBD user, did you get good results or not so good results managing this ailment? Everybody's got a different story because everybody's taking a different product and that variability and that methodology just really makes that study very difficult to interpret. So let's say somebody is interested in maybe getting into, you know, medical marijuana studies or CBD studies. What, what do you guys think are some of the barriers that we're going to have to face in, in performing those studies? Obviously, state by state, state it's by going state. to be a problem, yeah. right? It's a Schedule One drug, yeah. and it's, you know, you need lots of licensure and regulatory guidelines, and it's state by state, and it's also still got a stigma associated with it, and so, you know. And I think if, if you look at it from a regulatory standpoint, if you are a researcher and you want to study marijuana, then you know, let's say you're NIH funded or whatever, then you have to get the marijuana from the federally regulated or the state regulated growers, yeah. all right? And so that marijuana, we, we know how much THC compound is in it because that's where you have to get it from. But if you really want to study that compound, then we need to study what the consumer is using. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then if you're in a state that has full legalization, then I'm a researcher and I'm studying the effects of marijuana or medical marijuana that has 12 to 15 percent THC. And I'm finding these things, yet this person is going out and buying it 
that in, from a from a farm that is not federally regulated, and they have hybrid and and splice to where their product has 36%. And so you can't extrapolate what I found in my regulated research to that particular person because we're not, it's not all regulated. Yeah. So if it were totally FDA approved, which as Dr. Hatchett says many times it's not, then it would be easier to do research that is reproducible and that we could extrapolate across populations because we're talking about the same, the same thing. thing. Right. So we're not even comparing apples to apples exactly. anymore. It's literally apples to oranges or, or apples to guavas or something right. at this point. Who knows? Okay. Um, well, you know, like I said, this was super informational. I think it, it's a good starting point for the conversation about what we need to know, either as physical therapy students or physical therapy teachers, professors, you know, uh, at least how we can have the conversation and start to think about what we can educate our patients on it at the very least and know that this is a topic that is, exists and it's going to continue to exist. So it's, it's a good starting point, I think. But um, do you guys have any final comments on like dangers or awarenesses that need to be put out there for just, you know, general public um, information, things that we should be red flags to be aware of or, or notes to, to give to patients takeaways? Uh, yes, especially CBD products have been growing in popularity exponentially. And what I think consumers don't realize it is not, it is a medication. It is a drug. It is not a dietary supplement, yeah. even though it's on the shelf of the healthcare store and, you know, your local pharmacy, it's not FDA approved. We don't know about safety. don't know about efficacy. We don't know about um, dosing guidelines. Uh, and so, they need to know that we just don't have enough information to know if this is a good decision at this point um, and that it isn't going to cure what they are looking to address it and they shouldn't use this in lieu of um, other medical interventions other medical protocols it's just it's 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 we there's still too much unknown about it and they have to understand there's risks associated with it that's that's a great point i would say just to to tag along with Dr. Hatch, that we have those patients that are stubborn, okay? And that we tell them what she just said, and they said, well, I'm gonna use it anyway. And so again- You can thinking, lead the horse to right, water. And thinking about the whole client and thinking about, you know, do no harm, yeah. right? Then I would take it just in addition to what Dr. Hatch said is that, okay, if you're telling me you're gonna use it then I would suggest that you that you research where you're going to get it from, and if you want to find out, you know what's what products have been vetted to the standpoint of knowing, you know, online products that actually have the amount of CBD that they say they have, then there are places where you can go to do that. So at least do some research to make sure that whatever you're buying is what it says it is so that then you as a consumer can make an informed decision if you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. I would first say with what Dr. Hatch right, said, right. but there are those people that say, well, I'm going to do it. Right. Okay. Well, if you're going to do it, I don't want you to go get a product that is either not have what it has or has more and right. we have an adverse effect. So, you know, make sure that you at least there are sites and there are places that, there are three um, regulatory agencies that you can look online and that they list the products that are pretty good at 
being what they say they are. Yeah, and we can put those links in the show notes right. so people can reach those. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good resource, I think, to have to, mm-hmm. you know, buyer beware. But uh, if you are going to use it, please at least be educated know what you're and using, informed. Right. Know, know what you're using right. and know where it's grown yeah. and know that the product has been fully uh, analyzed to show you exactly what the dosage is, what, what the content is, what the purity is, so that you at least know that, you know, it's, it's a safer product to use. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the show and educating the audience about all things marijuana, uh, medical marijuana related. Uh, we've got one final question for you that we ask everybody. If you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Well, for me, and this is a personal um, observation, the admission process be somewhat standardized or be based on things that are not arbitrary. You know, particularly in those programs that take a limited number of students and how highly competitive it is. I mean, I would like for us as a, a profession and particularly an academic profession to do the research to find out what it is or what are the qualities that we're looking for and use those that have objective findings. Because having sat on an admission committee and we are getting these students coming through and I'm making decisions on really what could be the the difference in their life. I mean, I am making a life-changing decision and I'm not sure that I'm using the appropriate tools or the appropriate information to make that decision. And that bothers me. And the older I get, the more it bothers me is that here I see these young kids and that they're coming through and you know, you, we're using GPA. Well, what is that? That's not comparing apples to apples, right. okay? And then you know, the GRE, well, that's not comparing apples to apples, particularly with what we know about standardized yeah. tests. So as an educational unit, I would like for us to see what it is that we should use at admission criteria and use that rather than the things that are so arbitrary. Yeah, I love that. It's a great response. Dr. Hatch. I would like to see that uh, for physical therapy schools, particularly, you know, when we're talking about adult learners um, working on professional training, I want to see us really embrace change in our in our instructional delivery our, our our learning methodology i mean covid showed us a lot and really forced our hand into rethinking how we do what we do as academicians and 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 i think we should not try to put that genie back in the bottle we learned so much about how to be effective in our use of the technology for online you know instructional delivery and, how, and, and at the same time, how to be effective then with our face-to-face time with those students. Um, it, 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 it speaks to online course, instructional delivery has, it does has some, it has some hiccups, it has some um, limitations, but the strengths are overwhelming. I mean, students can have the opportunity to keep reviewing those lectures over and over again in their own time to help with their learning instead of trying to spend that time splitting their attention between hearing the instructor, writing down you know, notes. It's there for them, just like a textbook yeah. um, is one major strength. And then the instructors can use their face-to-face time to 
to go in that deeper learning, yeah, add to it, higher add to it. in Bloom's yeah. taxonomy. Let's apply what you learned, what I just taught you, those, you know, those fundamental tools. Now here's an opportunity for us to apply, for us to discuss, for us to explore. Um, we don't get that level of Bloom's taxonomy in a face-to-face -face lecture. Yeah. So I think that's what I'd love to see is just let's not put that genie back in the bottle. Let's keep moving forward. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, ladies, again, I can't thank you enough for your time. Where can people reach out to you if they want to follow up with questions or just want to see what you guys are up to? You can put our emails on those yeah. links, too. Okay. That would yeah. be wonderful. We'd love to hear from you all. And, um, you know, I'm, I, 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 as a physical therapist that, that is a pharmacologist, you know, I, I have taught this curriculum or this content for, for many universities and, and their entry level. And, and then I work with Dr. Hatch with, you know, uh, her transitional program. And I'm very adamant about it. So I am happy to share content, to share, you know, case studies or things. And so, you know, just reach out. I'd be happy to share my, awesome. my materials to, you know, it's, it's an area that our students need to know. Um, we need to be able to make decisions and, and to understand how drugs, not only marijuana and, and CBD, but other drugs interact and affect our patient outcomes. And, and I'm very adamant about making sure that we teach students that content. So I'd be happy to share what I have if somebody's interested. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, ladies. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.